Well, welcome today to part three of our series on the life of the Old Testament prophet Elisha. And what we've been doing over these past couple weeks is just taking a look at some of his stories of the miraculous things that he did, as I've shared with you before, other than Jesus. Nobody does more recorded miracles in Scripture than Elisha himself. So we're just sort of looking at some of those miracles and seeing, all right, what does that have to do with our lives and how we're living here in 2021? Now, back in week one, I encouraged you to burn the plows. Last week, I encouraged you to dig some ditches. Today, we're going to grab some jars. So if you got a Bible, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. That's where we're going to hang out today, 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online. There's a little button up there in the upper right-hand corner right there. It's called Talk Notes. If you push that, that'll give you all the scriptures I'm going to be talking about today, as well as all the fill-in-the-blanks and other points I'm going to be making. Welcome to those of you that are here with us live as well. If you go to your smartphone and go to exponential.church, you can get all the notes that we're going to be talking about here as well. All right, uh, as you continue to, to turn there, I also want to wish you a happy 4th of July. This is the day that we celebrate our independence as a country and all the freedoms that we have. But this is also a special day for us here at Exponential because this is the first day since March the 15th of 2020, 66 weeks ago, that we've been able to gather together mass-free and all of our chairs are back and, and everything. Yeah. It's pretty good, but you know, as we as we're getting more and more freedom after COVID has hit, one of the things I realize is that many people are still overwhelmed though. They're overwhelmed by a bad marriage, they're overwhelmed by crippling debt, they're overwhelmed by relational issues that you're having with your family members. There's just a, a lot of stress at work and all kinds of other things, health concerns. That yes, we're getting the freedoms from COVID, but yet for a lot of people, you still feel sort of trapped. And so I hope today's message will bring you some freedom and will bring you some hope, some joy, and some strength as well. So with that said, let's jump right into Scripture here. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Now, Jewish tradition said this, that this woman who is now a widow, her husband had been Obadiah, one of the other famous Old Testament prophets. We, we don't know this for certain from Scripture, but this is just sort of Jewish tradition. If you have read about Obadiah in Scripture, you know this. Obadiah was the one that was taking his own personal money, his own funds, and was protecting and helping to support 50 other prophets. Remember this all the time during uh, King Ahab and Jezebel, and just it was a mess in Israel. And so Obadiah, he was the one that was sort of protecting the prophets, sort of keeping them hidden so that they weren't executed. And so he's spending all of his money, but now all of a sudden he's dead. And that puts his wife, his widow in a very, very bad situation because she has no money. And, and remember, in that day and time, women didn't work. And it's not because they couldn't work necessarily, it's, you know, that they didn't have the skills. It's just in that society, it's just not what women did. And so when you're a young widow like that, and you have no money and, and nobody to support you, because remember, her family had been supporting everybody else. Now there's nobody to support you. There's only one thing that was left that a woman could do. Only one way to make money. You know what I'm saying? And she didn't want to do that. But she's in this very stressful situation. 
Her husband has died. She has no money. She has no way to make money. And now these creditors come and they say, look, tell you what, let's sell your children. And that's how you can pay off this debt. So this is a very, very bad situation. And, and you know, by the way, this, this helps to keep our problems into perspective, doesn't it? We complain about things like, oh man, my GPS had me make a wrong turn. And we get all bent out of shape about it. Or at the restaurant, and we say, hey, could you hold the onions? But yet they didn't hold the onions. It's still in there. And you get all bent out of shape. You, you start throwing a fit about it. Or, you know, you, you get out your phone and do that old selfie thing, right? And then you complain, I only got five likes on my latest Instagram post. Or ladies, you know, nobody said that I'm so beautiful. Everybody says that all the women are so beautiful. And you're all upset about it. Listen, this woman, she knew real problems. She's a widow. She has no money. And they want to sell her kids. Again, some of you, you, you have real issues financially, relationally, in your marriage, at your work, health. But we shouldn't get all bent out of shape even about those types of things. Which leads to the first point I want to make to you here today. If you're taking notes, when I don't have what I really want is usually the time I discover that God is really all I need. Let me say that again. When I don't have what I really want is usually the time I discover that God is really all I need. You know, it's really easy when life is going good to forget about God, isn't it? But then there's those times that we need God and we're expecting that God's going to do something for us. But when we start to draw closer to Him like that, that we really need Him, all of a sudden, if you're, if you're really doing it right, if you're really seeking Him, you get to that realization that, you know what, even if God doesn't answer any of these prayers, even if God doesn't do this for me, just because I'm closer to Him, He is actually all that I need. My relationship with Him got stronger because of this situation that I'm going through. We continue on with the story, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 2 then. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. What do you have in your house? Sir, I have nothing, all except for a, a small, small jar of olive oil. Now, in verse 1, she expressed her problem to Elisha. Here's the issue that I have. And I want you to notice here in verse 2, he doesn't go, sucks to be you. Right? He doesn't say, well, what do you want me to do about it? No, he has empathy. He has compassion on this woman. He doesn't just blow her off. Instead, he jumps in to see if there's anything that he could do. And he utters seven words that I believe all of us should learn. And it's simply this. What can I do to help you? Let, let's say that together. What can I do to help you? Those of you online, go ahead and say it out loud there in your living room or as you're driving. or what? Well, you shouldn't be watching and driving, but you know what I'm saying, wherever you're at right now. Let's say it together. What can I do to help you? We need to learn those seven words. You're at work 
and there's somebody that has an issue, maybe it's job-related or maybe it's something personally, what's the seven words you should say to that person? What can I do to help you? You have a family member that they're going through something stressful in their life right now. What seven words do you need to utter to them? Come on, this is the audience participation part. Right, what can I do to help you? Friends that you have, they're going through something. You're just simply going to say, what can I do to help you? Every single situation in life, you should be looking at, how can I serve this person? And the easiest way to, to know how to serve somebody is to ask them, what can I do to help you? You want to get real joy and satisfaction out of life? Every single morning, wake up, and the first thing out of your mouth is, you know, Jesus, thank you for another day. This is a day that you have made. We should rejoice and be glad in it, right? So you're thanking him for the day. But then right after that, you should say, Jesus, what can I do to help you? How can I get involved in your kingdom, in your kingdom work? What is it that you would have for me to do today to serve other people? And again, all you're going to do all day long is you're just going to keep your eyes and your ears open for situations that are around you. And as you see a situation, you're going to go up to people and you're going to go, what can I do to help you? So that's what Elisha does. Again, he doesn't blow her off. He doesn't say, ah, oh, there's nothing I can do here. He says, what can I do to help you? And then he asks her a second question. And I find this sort of profound that he asks this second question because it's almost like he's trying to preserve her dignity and her humanity. Because remember, she has nothing. She's in a really bad situation. And he doesn't come like swooping in like he's Superman or something. Like, here I come to save. Well, that was Mighty Mouse, right? Who, who was it? It was like, here I am to save the day, right? Uh, but, but anyway, he, he's not here to, to play the hero. He just wants to help her in some way. And so he asks her a second question. He says, what do you have in your house? What, what do you have? Because we'll take the little bit, whatever it is that you have, and we'll take my willingness to help, and together with God's help, we'll come up with a solution to your problem. So again, he's not playing the hero. He's saying, look, you can still have an active part of this. You don't need this, this you know, prophet to come in and save the day for you. Let's do this together. What do you have in your house? Now, what's the first thing that she says? She says, I don't got, I don't got nothing. And isn't that sort of typical of those times in life, you know, when, when things are bad, we're like, I, I just, I don't have anything. And we're like, I, I don't have money, so I'll never be happy. I don't have a, a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, so my life is never going to bring me fulfillment. Ladies, you go to a closet full of clothing. It's a big closet. And you utter the words, I have nothing to wear. Guys, you go to a stocked full fridge and you complain, there's nothing to eat in this house. We get so caught up in what we don't have instead of being grateful for the things that we do have. And we've got to be very careful of that. What I'm saying is, don't get focused on what you don't have. Instead, thank God for what you do have. In other words, stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. 
I should have put that on your outline, actually. Write that down. If you're, if it, write, write that down. What's that? Oh, repeat it? All right. Yeah. Come on, Bob. Heckler's in the front row. Maybe we should move the seating back the way we had it before. Bob used to be in the back. It was stop waiting for what you don't have and start working with what you do have. Stop waiting for what you don't have. Start working with what you do have. You good, Judy? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's what happens here in this, this story. The widow goes, oh, wait a second. Actually, I I do have something. I have this small jar of olive oil. Now, I know you're asking the question, what in the world is that going to do for her? Obviously, she has a lot of debt here. What's a little small jar of oil going to do? Well, what you need to understand is that oil in that day and time was much more valuable than what it is in our society because the oil could be used for cooking. It could be used for fuel for lamps. It could be used as a moisturizer. It was used to keep uh, leather pliable. It was used to help prevent rust on metal. It could be used for religious purposes, things like, you know, anointing oil for prayer. It could be actually given as a sacrifice to God. So there's a lot of things that you could use oil for. And really, if you think about it, that's the story of God, right? That he specializes in taking a little and utilizing it and making it a lot. That's the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? What's that story all about? If you remember, the disciples, they're all fretting. They're going, how are we going to feed all these people? It's impossible. We don't have enough money or enough food. We we could never do this. Then there's a little boy that comes up with this happy meal. Okay, you you understand what I'm saying, right? He says, I have five loaves of of bread and, and two fish here. And he says, take the little bit that I have. And Jesus takes that little bit, and what happens? He blesses it, and it begins to multiply. And it multiplies so much that every single person, and remember, that was only 5,000 men. That didn't even include the women and the children. Everybody's like, I am stuffed. I can't eat anymore. And there were still leftovers after that. God takes a little, and he makes it much. He multiplies it. Think about David. Here's this little boy, David. And that little boy with one little stone slays the giant. God specializes in taking a little and making the miraculous happen. That's what he's going to do here in this story. That's what we see in other stories in Scripture. And that's what he wants to do in your life. Don't get caught up in what you don't have. Be grateful for what you do have and give that to him and say, here's what I have. Here's all I have to offer. And now, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to do something miraculous with it. Jesus says this in Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. For nothing is impossible for you. So Elisha asked her, well, what do you have in your house? And she's like, well, I got nothing. And she's like, oh, wait, 
No, actually, I do have just a little bit of olive oil. He says, give, give it here. Give it here. And it's, again, a reminder that God has given you everything that you need in order to do everything that He wants. That leads to our second point then. I must offer to God what I have and trust that He will provide what I need. Say that again. I must offer to God what I have and trust that He will provide what I need. Even though it's only a little bit that you have, you still give it to God. And then you just trust. That's exactly what happens here in the story. Look at 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 3-7. to Elisha said, borrow as many what? Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then close the door behind you and your children and pour oil into all those containers. When one is full, set it aside. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. At last, she said to one of her sons, bring me another jar. We don't have any more, he answered. And the oil stopped flowing from the small bottle. After she told Elisha what had happened, he said, sell the oil and use part of the money to pay off your debt. You and your sons then can live on what is left. Week one was burn the plows. Week two, dig some ditches today. You need to grab some jars. Grab some empty jars. She offered the little bit that she had and God provided everything that she needed. As long as the jars were empty, God kept blessing her. God kept pouring out the oil into it. She gave what she had, and then God did what only God could do. And this goes back to what I said last week. If you show God your faith, He will show you His faithfulness. If you show God your faith, He will show you His faithfulness. Let me give you an illustration for this, and I, I hate to hate to do this one all the time, but I think it just so perfectly illustrates this. When Lisa and I were dating, we were so poor that we couldn't even figure out, yeah, how poor were you? <laughs> Here's how poor we were. We were so poor that we didn't even know if we had enough money to get married. And by get married, I don't mean like have a wedding ceremony. I mean, like move out of our mom and dad's houses and move in together as a married couple and actually have enough money to live off of. That's how poor we were. I was a, a brand new Christian and the church that we were attending, they offered this uh, class and it was a, a study. There was this guy, his name was Larry Burkett. He was sort of like a, uh, the Dave Ramsey of his day and time. And Larry Burkett, you know, had sort of this whole financial plan that you could do. And there was this worksheet that you could fill out with like a budget. And so we sit down and we start going through it again. We're figuring out, is the income side going to be greater than the expenses side? Because we're in love, we want to get married, but we don't think that it's going to work out. And there was this line item, the very first expense was called tithe. And I said to Lisa, I was like, what in the world is that? Because I had grown up in a church, but I thought they were saying your tithes and offerings. So I thought like guys were supposed to like take your tie off and like put it in the offering. I, I wasn't sure. But it was this T-I-T-H-E. And I was like, tithe, what, what is that? And she said, well, it means 10%. That 10% of all of your income is supposed to go back to God. 10% of your paycheck, 10% of your birthday money, 10% of your Christmas money, any type of blessing that you get, any income that comes in, basically 10% goes back to God. 
And I was like, oh, okay. Now, we didn't sit down and, and do this worksheet all at like one sitting. This was like a couple week process that we were like sort of talking about various things and how could we make more money and how could we cut, you know, things like that. But then it came time to actually sit down and like fill out the, the worksheet. And so when we got to that first line item there of tithe, I said, well, how much are, are we going to do? And she looked at me with this look of, I love you. And there is no such thing as a stupid question. But that's a really stupid question. He's like, I told you the word tithe means 10%. But I'm thinking, wait a second, we can't figure out how to get married off of 100% of our income. Now you're telling me we're supposed to give 10% of it away? That we're going to add this extra expense? That we're supposed to live off of 90% of our income? There's just no way. And so I'm like, how much are we going to put? And she's like, 10%. Well, I wasn't quite convinced, so she gave me some scriptures to look at. And so I started reading through and studying God's Word of, okay, what does it have to say about this whole thing called the tithe? And I became convinced that, yes, this is what we needed to do. And so immediately, even before, you know, getting married or anything, I started taking 10% of every single paycheck and giving it to God. And guess what happened? I got a raise at my job. I was working at the magic shop at the time. I got a raise at the magic shop. And I was still, you know, doing private gigs and stuff and traveling on the weekends. Guess what? All of a sudden, I started getting more gigs and higher paying gigs. And all of a sudden, there's enough money in the income side that we can get married. And so we continue to tithe. And shortly after we get married, God opens up the opportunity for us to start a second business then. And that's the one that you've heard me talk about before. That one took off, and we made a lot of money doing that. All because we took the little bit that we had and said, we're offering it to God. It's not much, God, but we're offering it to you. And we are trusting that your promises are going to come true. That as your word says, you will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't even be room enough to contain it all. Last month, we celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. And I can't tell you how much God has blessed us, not just financially, but just our marriage, our health, and, and wisdom, and insight, and opportunities, all kinds of things that we would have never had if we weren't faithful to take that little bit that we had and offer it up to God. And I'm not saying this you know, to, to brag, but I, I just want to, again, illustrate this. Notice that we didn't say, well, we'll wait till we have money, then we'll begin the tithe. No, we said we're going to take the little bit that we have Give it to God and trust that God's going to bless. And that's exactly what he did. And here we are 26 years later, and other than my relationship with Jesus of starting that, starting my relationship with Lisa, tithing is probably the third most important thing I've ever done in my life. Because now I can look back on you know, 28 years now, basically, of tithing and go, where we are today has so much to do with that. Now again, I'm just using money as an illustration here. Keep in mind, this principle works for anything. Take the little that you have, whether it's money or possessions or your talent or your knowledge, whatever you have, give the little bit that you have and say, God, here it is. I'm offering it to you. And I'm trusting that you're going to do the miraculous and that you're going to provide for me in every single way. 
And so your job is to grab some jars and make sure that that jar is empty. And you offer it to God and say, here it is. Now, you do your part. You're going, okay, Gilbert, you're obviously talking very figuratively here of, you know, grabbing some jars. Are we literally like supposed to be grabbing jars? No, obviously you're not. But here's what we know from Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that our bodies are jars of clay. They're fragile, but our body is literally a jar. Okay, you with me? Those of you online, you with me? Your body is the jar. So you're to grab an empty jar. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that every day you need to empty your cell or that jar of you. That you're going, less of me, more of you, Jesus. That every single day you're emptying yourself of pride and lust and greed and envy and jealousy and rage and all the other things that we so often fill our lives with. You empty yourself of that. You offer the empty jar to God every single day. And he says, ah, okay, now the oil can start to flow. For those of you that have been around for a while, those of you online, you can type this in. What does oil in Scripture represent? Go ahead, you know it. What is it? Well, anointing, but the anointing of what? Help him out, Nate. Shout it out nice and loud. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Oil represents the Spirit. And so the more you empty yourself of you, the more God can continually, daily, fill you with His Spirit. Now, we get the Spirit at the moment of salvation, all right? But God wants to continue to pour out more and more anointing on you, more and more of His Spirit on you. And you know what happens? If your jar is running over, your cup overfloweth, guess what's going to happen? That's going to start to spill out on others. That God's Spirit is now, is now coming out of you onto to other people. And you want to be used by God? You want to have satisfaction in life, great joy in life? That's the way to do it. Empty yourself of you. Say, God, here I am. Little old me. Here I am. Now fill me with your Spirit. And let me do great and mighty things for you. And as you're continually filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden what you'll realize is all the things that you thought that you wanted outwardly, you don't really need. Because inwardly, you're being filled with His Spirit, and that's the true thing that's bringing you joy and contentment and peace. And you realize that when outwardly you are weak, inwardly He makes you strong. When you're hurt, He brings comfort. When you are lost, He is your guide. When you're hungry, He is the bread of life. When you're thirsty, liver, uh, um, uh, rivers of living water come flowing out of Him to you. That when you're unstable, He is the solid rock on which you can stand. You realize that when I don't have what I want, He is actually all that I really need. Again, stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. I'll wrap up with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen, worship is a little bit of what we did here today with music. That's a part of worship, but that's just a little tiny part. 
Music's important. I talked about that last week. But music's just a little bit of worship. Worship truly is offering your body to God every single day. It's a living sacrifice. Saying, I'm an empty jar. Now pour your spirit out into me. And as his spirit overflows, and people can see that overflowing, that's worship. That every single thing that you say, every single thing that you do, every single thing that you think, every single thing that you give, every single person you come across and serve, that's worship. That's what God wants. So we need to burn some plows. We need to dig some ditches. And today we learn what? What do we need to grab? Grab some jars. And who is the jar? We are. We are. Empty yourself every single day. Give the little bit that you have, and He will bless in a miraculous way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You again for these stories that we're able to look at from the the prophet Elisha and and his life. and Just this miracle that he he helped to do with this, this widow lady. And God, you, you gave him the wisdom and the insight of what he needed to say to her so that you could work and, and perform this miracle. And so Lord, help us to learn from it to, to empty ourselves. Every single morning to, to wake up and say, God, it's not about me, it's all about you. So help me to, to empty out all the, the sin that's in my life. And just be an empty vessel that God, here I am, use me. And God, how, what can I do to help you? How can I further your kingdom today? And the Lord, then we would just keep our eyes and ears open for opportunities to serve people, not out of our own strength, but out of the overflowing of your spirit that's working from within our lives. Jesus, that's what you want for all of us, but yet so often that's not how we live. So help us to repent of our sinful ways, of our selfish ways, and truly give our lives to you each and every day, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, to to daily pick up our own cross and die on our own cross. Sacrifice. That is our act of worship. Lord, my, my prayer is that each and every person that's here today, each and every person that's watching online, Lord, we would truly start to live that out because, Lord, there would be nothing that would be impossible for us as this little small church if we would all actually start living that way. The great signs and miracles and wonders would be done in our midst and in our community because a small group of people decided that, you know what, it's not about living the way the world says to live, but it's all about living Jesus' way. Lord, help us to be that people. There's a lot of other pastors that are saying the exact same thing today in churches all across this world. But so few people live it out. Help us to actually be that remnant, that that group of people that carry on your mission. Help it begin with us. Bring revival to this land. Bring revival to this world. Let it start with us as we empty ourselves out and become that empty jar that you'd have us to be. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.